Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. another hour of the PFT Live podcast. When you saw Mahomes throw two interceptions, did you think at all at that moment, A, might not be our day, B, uh, for some reason it's not Patrick's day? Yeah, you know, I never think that. I always think with him, keep firing. And, uh, you know, I've seen this before. And right when you don't think he's going to do something, he, he again, he rips your heart out and uh, with, with great plays. And so uh, you saw that with Larry Bird. Larry Bird might have gone cold for a little bit. But he kept shooting, and that's what you do with the great ones. And this kid's young, but he's great, and uh, he's going to do nothing but get better than he is now. That's Chiefs coach Andy Reid with Peter King from the Peter King Podcast speaking after that 31-20 to victory in Super Bowl 54. And, you know, Peter, he's right. And we've seen that from Mahomes from time to time in 2019. They don't score every time they have the ball except against the Texans in the playoffs. We've seen these pockets where – they go from zero to 60 like that. They put up three touchdowns, and that's all they need. Yeah, you know, what What I think this said was, and I thought Chris did a really, really good job uh, when he broke down the third and 15 play that went for 44 yards because, as he described it, it's exactly the way sort of after the game when I asked Andy Reid to draw it up. They knew that there was going to be a hole in the coverage uh, between Jimmy Ward and the corners, you know, the deep safety Jimmy Ward in the corners, because they tested that in the first half. If you watch this right now, he throws it up. Mahomes throws it up. And he knew that there would be the hole because the first time they ran this play, Tyreek Hill ran right at the safety. Watch him run right at Jimmy Ward. He flips his hips, and now he goes the other way. The first time, he went right at Jimmy Ward, and Jimmy Ward is thinking, hey, listen, 
This guy is going to do the exact same thing to me. I'm okay. I'm going to, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to let him get behind him. And he didn't, but he let him get to the side of him and there was no help. And Chris, I loved, I loved your uh, description of this play because it was so right on. Well, thanks a lot. I, I mean, it, it was a special play. Andy, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, they deserve a lot of credit. You know, a lot of the times, you know, Mike and I talk about, you know, cracking the code or, you know, challenging the rules of a defensive scheme. And that's what they did there. You know, you can't sit there and really blame anybody on the 49ers. The Chiefs found a scheme that really stressed out the scheme of the defense of what the 49ers were playing. And let's be real about this, guys. I mean, hey, you know, again, you, you can't draw. This is where, you know, I don't want to hear like people always go, well, arm strength is not that important. Yeah, right. You know, because there's a lot of teams in football that aren't going to draw up that play right there. First off, don't have the wide receiver who can, you know, stress a defense down the field that way. Second off, don't have a quarterback who can play the 49ers. And I think it's still hilarious if you watch that play. Mahomes gets the ball and he's watching the pass rush as the play is going because he's he just wants to make sure he can get a pass off and get a throw off on third and 15. So he's kind of shuffling back and to be able to throw that ball 50 yards off your back foot as you're shuffling away. I mean, not only the great play, but the players that were involved, everything. I feel like we've kind of, it's just, I still can't get over what we saw the other night is what I'm saying. I just can't get over it. I really can't. It was the, the best defense in football. One of the best pass defenses we've seen in football. And this team just decided to go up. Oh, hey, here we go, guys. Let's go on fire. And it was zing, zoom, zoom. And it was three touchdowns. And I just couldn't believe it. Two, three, jet chip wasp. The new 65 toss power trap for the Kansas City Chiefs. The play that broke things wide open. Although it took a lot of work after that to actually regain the lead. They were still down 10 points after that play. They had to score a touchdown and another. And they ultimately added on one for good measure. One of the plays along the way, guys, was the 38-yard catch and run from Sammy Watkins when he got behind Richard Sherman. And Watkins said he picked up that clue on how to beat Sherman from seeing what Packers receiver Devontae Adams did to Sherman in the NFC Championship game. How to beat him with the inside release and to get behind him. Because, look, Sherman's a great defensive back, but he's not going to run stride for stride with the fastest guys on the field. And Watkins got to the inside, and that was that. And there it is. Well, well done by the control room. The, the identical moves really by Adams and Watkins to bust it wide open. And without that play, it's a little bit harder to beat the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 54, Peter. Yeah, and I think the one thing that you can always tell with an Andy Reid offense and give credit also to Eric Bieniemy, to Mike Kafka. This staff, every week, four or five times, they walk into Andy Reid's office. There's a little couch in there, and there's a big, like, two-by-five whiteboard on the wall. And every week, <clears throat> they start this on Monday, every week they draw diagrams of the play they want, okay, and the plays they think are going to work and why. Uh, one of the things, Mike, you mentioned, absolutely. You know, 2-3 Jet Chip Wasp, uh, the play to Tyreek Hill, the 44-yarder, that was drawn on, on last week, and they all talked about why they thought it would work. And the very simple reason is every one of these plays, they'll draw up on the board, and Andy Reid will say to them, okay, what's the defense going to do? Why is this a smart play? 
And that what you're saying, what you're seeing right now, I am positive that they would have drawn that play up on the board because they're all designed, as Chris says, to basically stress a defense. It's not just plays that, oh boy, we know Patrick does this play well. It's plays that work against this defense. And those plays drawn up every week. What's so funny, Andy Reid took out his phone to me when I saw him a couple of weeks ago. And, and he showed me his board and he told me about it. And he took out his phone and he called up the photo of the, the board the day before they played Tennessee. He takes a picture of all these boards. And it looked like for all you could see, like, you know, a, a, you know, a, a phone app with MapQuest on it <laughs> and all the lines going in a hundred directions in an <laughs> inner city. And, and it was, it's hilarious, but that is basically the mad scientism of a made up word uh, of Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, uh, Kafka, and the rest of that offensive staff. It, it is phenomenal. I mean, they have so many brilliant minds there, talented players. I mean, Sammy Watkins, the release to talk about that play again, too, that, you know, almost using Richard Sherman's strengths uh, and making it a weakness because he is smart more times than not when a receiver releases inside like that, he is going to run some in breaking route, right? You know, usually you release outside. It's, hey, the guy's trying to run an out route, a comeback, maybe a go route. So there was brilliance there in just the coaching of the release and Sammy Watkins and the, the attention to detail with Devontae Adams. The other thing, too, Peter, I just want to ask you this. I just feel like I almost feel like that staff and Andy Reid are almost careful with how much they gush about Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. You've been around them a whole lot more than I am, but I feel like it's one of those things you ask them about it. And I feel like he like he, he light lights up and he has got a big smile and huge eyes when you say Patrick Mahomes. And then he has to, like, I feel like in his brain, he's telling himself, all right, now let's not go crazy and tell everybody how awesome I think this kid really is. I don't know. Is that true? Do, or am I off there? Do you get that sense when you talk? To well, them? I think he, I think he loves Mahomes. No question about it. Yeah. And I think he, he wants to be sure to give him the proper credit, but I also think Andy Reed wants to give other people credit too. Right. Andy Reid swears by Bienemy, and quite honestly, Chris, as you know, the way Andy Reid runs his coaching staff, you know, when Doug Peterson left in 2016, he had Matt Nagy to replace him. And, you know, when Nagy left in 2018, he had Bienemy to replace him. And that's why Andy was so confident if Eric Bienemy got a job this year or next year, he's got a really good guy in Mike Kafka to replace Eric Bieniemy, he almost plans for the obsolescence of his coaches, and 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 he'll and he will tell you everything good about not just Patrick Mahomes, but about his coaches. Yeah. One of the realities for the Chiefs now moving forward, a good problem to have, a problem the franchise hasn't had in 50 years, a problem Andy Reid has never had as a head coach. How do you keep your guys properly focused as they embark on a victory lap that? possibly will extend maybe longer than than it should and impinge upon their ability to be as good as they can be in 2020. Andy Reid yesterday was asked about players handling their success in the offseason. Here's what he had to say. They're going to have a lot of opportunities um, in a short way, but understand what feeds the family. And, uh, and that's this job here. So 
um, enjoy that, the other part of being, being a champion. But on the other hand, uh, you better get yourself right uh, to play this game. And there's a fine line right there, you know, uh, of doing it the right way and, and doing it halfway. So um, don't neglect the, the part that is the most important part of your profession. You know, you got some people that want to declare the Chiefs a dynasty with only one Super Bowl win. They're no more of a dynasty than the 2002 Buccaneers or the 1985 Bears, teams we thought would maybe deliver again and again and never did. Bill Belichick is the master of getting his guys to forget about what happened last year. Do we believe that Andy Reid will be able to get his guys to set aside championship number one, go back to the valley of zero and zero, as Dennis Green called it, and climb the same mountain again, Peter? Yeah, I think one of the things that Andy Reid will do is one of the things, and and Chris saw this because he was on the the New England staff a few years ago for one off season, and I remember uh, one of the things that that Andy has said, you know, several times in the past is that you know every year he's just like the old Parcells thing. Every year is a brand new year, and if you don't realize that this happened to Parcells one time, he feels in 1987 where. After winning the Super Bowl in 86, he hung on to guys. And basically, I think he felt like it's, and a lot of coaches have felt this way since, it's better to get rid of guys a year too early than to get rid of them a year too late. And I think Andy Reid is going to have to make those tough decisions. I'm sure he has already started to think about, okay, who are we paying? He's probably already had a meeting with Brett Veach, as crazy as this sounds. It's Wednesday it's whatever, 60 hours after this game. And he's already had his preliminary meeting with his GM to talk about which are going to be our priority guys in free agency. Uh, What are our future plans? What are we going to hit hard at the combine? What are we going to do in free agency? So I I doubt this will catch Andy by surprise very much. No, yeah, Mike, I'm with Peter there. I I think this is is like a jump-off point. I, I, I believe that. You know, I think the first off, like the psychosis of winning the Super Bowl and losing the Super Bowl, right? We see a lot more winning Super Bowl teams come back and have success maybe than the team that loses the Super Bowl. I think you get addicted to it. One, you just go, damn, this is awesome. Like, I want to have this feeling again. This is amazing. We were the biggest show on the planet for two weeks in the lead up to the Super Bowl, then the game itself. And I think they have guys and personalities that thrive for that. And guys and personalities that I don't look at to be content. Like, I think Travis Kelsey wants to be the greatest tight end ever. I know Patrick Mahomes wants to be the greatest quarterback ever. You know, Tyree Kill, Sammy Watkins, they're, you know, I know Sammy Watkins has got one more year left, but the majority of their core of their players, other than Chris Jones, are signed up for the most part. So I would just be shocked between that. And I do think they're one of these teams, just as we saw in the Super Bowl in the playoffs. When they're hot and they get confidence and they believe in themselves, it's it's one of the greatest shows you've ever seen in football. I've never seen a team that can rip off points and wins the way they can and, and the fashion they do it. So, yeah, I expect them to be around, uh, and mainly because of Andy Reid and number 15. Back-to-back championships, though, will not be easy. We no. haven't seen it since Super Bowl 38 and 39. The Patriots did 49, 51, and 53. But even though they've been that team that's always been there for most of the last decade, they have not won back-to-back since 38 and 39. That's going to be the challenge for the Chiefs. One quick note before we break. The Chiefs announced their team MVP yesterday. We would have put 
a lot of money on it being Patrick Mahomes. It wasn't. It was Tyron Matthew. They did the vote when they do the Pro Bowl voting. Yeah, honey Matthew Badger. got more votes from the coaches and the players on the Kansas City Chiefs than Patrick Mahomes. Congratulations, Tyron Matthew. He's the Chiefs MVP, and I'm sure that means a lot to him. His first year with the team, great leader, great player, and a big reason why the Chiefs are the Super Bowl 54 champions. All right, it's never too early to peek ahead to 2020. MVP odds are out, and we'll take a look at who the favorites and, and long shots are for that eventual honor when PFT Live continues right after this. The MVP odds are out for 2020, courtesy of the Westgate Sportsbook. Lamar Jackson, the 2019 NFL MVP, 6-1 to one to win it again, but he's not the favorite. The favorite, the reigning Super Bowl MVP, Patrick Mahomes, the 2018 MVP. He is 4-1, to one, followed by Russell Wilson, 10-1, to one, Deshaun Watson, 12-1, to one, Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz, 16-1, to one, Drew Brees, who hasn't even decided whether or not he's going to play this year is 20 to one along with Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray. That's a Kyler Murray. That's a, that's an interesting name in that spot. And then Christian McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott at 30 to one guys. I look, I can understand why Mahomes would be the favorite. If he was healthy all year in 2019, who, who knows if he would have toppled Lamar Jackson for MVP, it would have taken a special season because Lamar Jackson was incredible, but I don't, I don't think it's all that crazy to think it's going to be one of those two guys in 2020. I think I think those odds are logical. My first thought when I looked at it is <clears throat> Tom Brady is watching our show this morning and he is ticked off. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's not even 30 to 1 and he might go he to play. To I one. mean, listen. He is. He is, is he 30, 30 to 1. Yeah. I I thought I didn't see him on that list. He he was uh, on that stats we, we put the running selectively editing. No, that was that was that was the next editing. that was the that was the next topic after this one. But but yeah. but go ahead. Well, it's a good point. Yeah. Hey, well, this guy's going to find motivation anywhere. He'll find it in this. And not only that, not only that, but he's not going to play for the Browns. I mean, he's not whoever he goes to play for. And it might be the Patriots is surely going to be a contender to play football in January. So. A quarterback who's probably going to make the playoffs. It's weird that he would not be on that list. But I'll just say this. I would pick Russell Wilson. On Monday in my column, I wrote a note that's saying that Russell Wilson uh, drafted in 2012. The Seahawks have played 143 games since 2012. Russell Wilson has started every one of them. He's got a better winning percentage in his career than Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. And he's made the playoffs in seven of eight years, and he's been to two Super Bowls. Russell Wilson, in eight years, has gotten exactly zero MVP votes. And for those Insane. who don't know, the MVP Insane. vote, there are 50 voters every year. You vote for one guy. It's not like baseball where you vote uh, you know, on a sliding scale from one to ten. In football, you vote for one. There's 50 guys. So... Since Russell Wilson broke into the NFL and started starting and starting started leading the Seahawks to the playoffs, there has been 400 MVP votes altogether, and he's never gotten one. But I think he's going to get off the schneid in 2020. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, you know, it's amazing, really, with the year he had this year that he didn't get one or two votes. But I get it because it was that special of a year by Lamar Jackson. So yeah, he, you know, he should have. 
or what, what did he win the unanimous MVP, right? He won unanimous MVP. He, yeah. Win he's won a two all pro. He's one of two players, him and Tom Brady in what? 2010. Yeah. Who won the MVP unanimously. Yeah. Well, it, you know, I look at this list and the, the thing that I just, that jumps out to me. And, and again, I, I think it is a very logical, realistic list here. I just feel like the guys, the top four on the list are so much better than everybody else on the list. It, 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 it just, I just think it's one of these guys. I do. I think Mahomes, Jackson, Wilson, Watson are, you know, clearly the four best quarterbacks in football right now. They can do it by themselves. It doesn't matter what's going on around them. They can pretty much make plays and carry the offense consistently, uh, you know, on a week-to-week basis. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I hear the Russell Wilson thing. I, I just think this is just lining up for, you know, greatness or Patrick Mahomes. I, I think that's going to be one of these things where the pressure's off. I've won a Super Bowl. I've won a regular season MVP. And I think this team is going to thrive with oh we're great and we have a chance to be even greater here going in the future and uh, I just look at it as Mahomes Mahomes award to lose from here on out very favorable schedule they play the four teams of the AFC East the four teams of the NFC South the home schedule not all that daunting the, the, the tough challenges on the road will be a trip to New Orleans and a trip to Baltimore where Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes will go head-to-head. We didn't get to see it in the playoffs. We will see it for the third time in the regular season in three years when they get together at some point in Baltimore. We're going to take a break. When we return at some point in 2020, the Jaguars will play not one but two of their home games in London. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. When the Jaguars announced on Tuesday that they will be playing two games in London in 2020 on a back-to-back basis, my first thought was home game for one, road game for the other. Oh, no, it's a pair of home games. 25% of the home schedule will be played not in Jacksonville, but in London. And this is something that I think we've all kind of suspected could happen, and maybe at some point... It's going to be like the old county stadium in Milwaukee. Lambeau Field split the Packers did for all those years. But I, I was I was shocked that the Jaguars are making that move from seven and one to six and two because it invites speculation as to when it's going to be five and three or four and four. Peter, your thoughts. Two thoughts, Mike. First of all, uh, Not that this is going to be anything that anybody is against, but eventually when the NFL starts playing either three or two preseason games, that will take, say, once every other year if they continue to do this, uh, a home game away in August. So what it means is that now, you know, really, theoretically, that the Jaguars will be going, will be not home nine or ten times a year, they're going to be home maybe seven times a year. That's the first thing I thought. I mean, the second thing is, look, Shad Khan, when he bought this team and when the NFL started making noise about London, whatever this was, five, six, seven years ago, when all this happened, there was no question that he had London in his sights. They want to be the NFL's team in London. And all this does is it gives them more of a reason to have a foothold permanently in London, whether they end up moving there or not, they've already 
got a foothold, Mike, because they play their games at Wembley, or they have, rather than at the NFL's new stadium in Tottenham. So for those who don't care about that, just, just understand that that is a very big deal because they're not siding with the NFL. Everybody has thought that the NFL, when they move to London, will play at this beautiful football palace at you know in Tottenham, you know where the Tottenham Hotspur play. But instead, they've stayed at Wembley. They want to have their own foothold, their own footprint in London. Yeah. So to me, do you remember, Mike, a long time ago when Al Michaels said, hey, the NFL is going to have two teams in London, and everybody laughed? L.A. I think, yeah, in, in, in L.A. Sorry about that. And I think right now, the NFL really, eventually, I don't know when, 15 years, maybe, I don't know, is going to have two teams in London. Well, I do think it's cool that Jacksonville is trying to create a little culture there in London. I do. And like to Peter's point about the Wembley Stadium, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly. They're trying to kind of make that like their home away from home to a degree and hope that they can create a, you know, a culture of Jaguars fan base in London. And okay, I got no problem with it. You know, I don't. You know, the Jags, yes, they're one of the newer franchises in our league. We know that. And hey, I mean, economically, it makes sense for Shot Khan and, and the Jaguars, too. I mean, come on, the Jaguars games, we watched them. Yeah, the stadium's full. It's fake full. Come on, there's tarps over like five, 10,000 seats uh, every game. So, it, it, you know, I understand this type of move and all that. Now, to say that it's going to happen full time, all right, that's where. You know, I just I, – I don't know how that can happen. That's that's my only thing. I could see them maybe splitting even down the future more home games, you know, with London or something like that. But I just know me. as If I was a veteran NFL football player and they told me, damn, hey, you got to go to London and do that and, you know, your team's going to be playing over there. You, you tell me I'm going to move my kids, figure out, you know, the, 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 the cash swap out, what the hell they got over there, the pound, the dollar, all of those things, move my kids to a school that's going to be a completely different system. Those things, to me, I just don't know how the NFL can make that work. But I'm in favor for Jacksonville doing this more than one game. I think it's actually kind of cool. There are so many logistical right? issues right. that relate to moving a team to London. You mentioned exchange rate, tax rate, the road trip, which for many teams yeah. is leave Saturday back Sunday night. You're going to be gone for three weeks at a time. Because when you cross the pond, you're going to stay there for multiple home games before you come back, or road games, before you come back for multiple home games. But here's the bottom line. It is the bottom line. It's about money. The Jaguars make more per game in London than they make in Jacksonville. Right. And I say this all the time when it comes down to stadiums. You put stadiums where the money and the people are. You put teams where the money and the people are. And there's more money and people in London than there is in Jacksonville. And there's going to be another city where as the stadium reaches the end of its useful life and we hear all this talk about how committed ownership is to staying until they're not, Right. And I think you're right, Peter. I think the Jaguars become the guinea pigs to work out all the kinks in London. And as another team sees, hey, you know what? That works. You may have that second team. You've got the two stadiums. You get the two teams. Natural rivalry. It makes a ton of sense. And I was told a couple of years ago that if and when Shad Khan wants to move the team there full time, he will have support from membership. They will vote in favor of it. 
Anytime he wants to move, he will get the approval to move. All right. Well, can I just say one hey, thing look. here? Uh, just one thing. Yes. I, I just well, to me, like I, I, don't, I mean, you know, isn't Jacksonville, you know, spending five hundred million dollars to make their own little Patriot place outside of like so that it doesn't look like he's trying to do anything here recent in the recent future, right? Aren't they trying to build something there close to their stadium to get more of an environment around the stadium a little bit like New England? Maybe I'm wrong, but I also thought maybe that was part of the reason they picked two games too. I think they have construction, heavy construction during those weeks, and that's why they wanted to move. I don't know, but uh, I, I just wondered that. Uh, sorry. Well, no, yeah, and the, you're right. The I mean, question, Shad Khan, yeah. go ahead, Peter. Now, listen, here's the biggest question, okay? about not Mike, you, you talk about logistics. Let's say one thing about logistics. You know, this has been, this has been told to me that if an NFL team, when an NFL team moves to London, that they're going to have two options that the NFL could say to them, look, you're going to have two 17 day trips to London during the season and one nine day trip to London during the season. In other words, they're going to be over there for three weeks at a time then back in the U.S. for two or three weeks, and then over there for three, back, and then over for two, or in some in some way. So this is not absolutely going to be a situation where the team will move lock, stock, and barrel with everything to London. It's not, I, mean, it, it, I don't know what it'll be, but that certainly is going to be one possibility. And then just about sort of the race to London – you know, one of the things that I've always been told is that London is going to be a part of this new collective bargaining agreement in some way that, you know, there's going to be the ability of an owner to move to London, but there's going to have to be some concessions made to players. In other words, players are going to have to be able to make a premium if they play in London, because yeah. it'll be viewed as right. as a hardship, definitely, you know, on the player and on his family. So I believe that if it happens, okay, so the salary cap this year is going to be about 200 million bucks. I believe that it'll be something I'm going to make this up for a team that plays in London. It'll be like 230 because you're going to have to be able to pay players more money to motivate them to play overseas. And see, that's going to be the challenge because any rules that are put in place for one or more teams in London, if those teams end up being wildly successful, the argument's going to be from the other teams, hey, you're doing too much. You're disrupting the competitive balance in a way that unfairly benefits the London teams by giving them more sa uh, salary cap space, more draft picks or whatever the case may be. And, you know, I, I, something occurred to me while you were explaining that, Peter. Maybe the end result isn't two teams in London on a full-time basis. Maybe it is two teams that split their schedule between their American home stadium and one of the two stadiums that are NFL ready in London. Maybe that's the way that it goes down, but there's too much money to be made by the NFL. They want to do this. And, and I'll tell you what, whatever they're doing in Jacksonville to make it like Patriot place. If Shad Khan believes that one or two other teams are ready to move to London on a full-time basis and take his spot, that's going to accelerate whatever long-term plan he may have for London. So at some point, you're going to have these owners begin to wake up to how much money they can make there. And if they can work through the logistical aspects of it, we just have to be ready for it. They've talked about yeah. it for a long time. And I thought, ah, they're just dangling a carrot 
to keep the people in London interested. They're never going to move a team there. Yesterday was the first time I thought, holy crap, they actually may move a team to London. Well, we, we heard the Raiders complain, right, about all the travel they had to do. I just can't imagine a team being able to pull it off. And, and listen, I'm for it. I want it to happen. I'm just the realistic part of my brain, which is small, but yet it's still there, is telling me that's going to be tough. And, you know, the other thing I just think about, okay, yeah, you heard John Gruden, a lot of press conferences, oh, we flew 97,000 miles this year. And, oh, it was, you know, ridiculous. With the, man, that is going to be stressful on a team. Two, if there's another team that – if their team is in London, you know, how do you work out the playoffs to where that's fair too? You know, oh, hey, you're, you're, a, you're the team in London and, you know, you're, you're, okay, you're playing a game over there, the last game of Sunday night on wild card weekend, right? And all of a sudden now you got scheduled for a Saturday game and you were in London the day before, whatever it may be. To me, that's not fair to those teams either when it came to that time. So those are the logistics, at least of me as a player in my brain, where I go, man, that would piss me off if I was playing in the playoffs and having to go to London and then maybe go to the West Coast the next round five, six days later and be all messed up in my brain you know my clock my body clock and all those things well all i can nothing say like is this all, that 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 mike all i can say is this you think that that the 32 owners and roger goodell and and the nfl when they're thinking about london you think they're thinking about man it's going to be rough on the players no, if they they're not no, for they're, a playoff game yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're definitely not I doubt right. that. hey hey <laughs> hey and that, that reminded me of when uh, elaine complained to david putty she was going to hell and he said it's going to be rough yeah it's going to be rough on you <laughs> not on me you're absolutely right one last point though i was reminded while we were talking of the story that jarvis landry told of adam gase when he was the coach of the dolphins threatening players he'll trade you to cleveland I'll tell you what, you got a better you got a better threat you can make now. I'm trading you to London, baby, and I guarantee you there will be more no trade clauses or specifically no trade to London clauses. That may be part of the CBA cuz the last thing you want to have happen is get that phone call in October, you're going to London for the rest of the season and maybe beyond. All right, we're going to take a break. This segment kind of devolved into an airing of grievances, at least as it relates to London. Our official airing of grievances segment comes next right here on Pro Football Talk Live. Every Monday morning, Peter King publishes Football Morning in America. It is always great this week, especially great. Hard work put in by Peter. I was sitting next to him in the press box. He was grinding the whole game, and then he just disappeared. And he next reappeared sometime around 5.30 in the morning when Football Morning in America dropped excellent breakdowns of what made Super Bowl 54 go. You can check it out there. I, All right. It's time. Go I ahead. I was going to say, it's kind of big time. I mean, you know you're big time when, you know, you can have a podcast with the Super Bowl MVP, like, right after the game. I don't know. I'm just letting you know, Peter. That's kind of the stratosphere you're in. Oh, hey, MVP of the Super Bowl? Come here. I want to tape a podcast with you. Oh, oh sure. Okay. I'm Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to come over there and talk to Peter King. That's how big time you are. Okay. <laughs> oh, come on. Right, uh, it was only four and a half minutes. <laughs> that's still good. Oh, and you also, also had Andy Reid in his office after the game, too. I mean, they're, they're, they're getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. It was great that you were able to get both guys and, uh, and help us understand exactly how that game swung the right way for the Chiefs. Yeah. All right. Time to air grievances. Uh, Peter, what do you got? You know, my biggest grievance has to do with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And that is, I would bet that if I get 500 reactions after Pro Football Hall of Fame voting all over to my email, on Twitter, uh, to my face, I bet 495 are 
how could you leave, you know, Joe Turdball out of this? And <laughs> and 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 not only that, but the hey, 495 Joe Turdball is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> Joe Turdball is <laughs> yeah. in. <laughs> he should. I mean, hey, he made seven Pro Bowls. Um, but no, the big and 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 of those 495, I can tell you, 494. If I looked at their Twitter feeds, if they're mad about Randy Gratishar, they're from Colorado. And so I've never met anybody who's not mad about you know, like I haven't seen anybody really angry about Leroy Butler. You know, who's not either a Packer fan, has some sort of Packer logo or whatever. And so, look, it's part of the deal, but it just drives me crazy that all politics are so local that you simply can't understand that your guy didn't get in versus a guy who did get in. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine what you got to deal with. What I really want to say to both of you is why have you made your emails public? Like, that's where I don't want, I want to question. I want to throw the challenge flag to both of you going, why the hell would you give the public your email? That's where I want to. I can't even keep up with text messages, let alone having public emails. So that's where I'll challenge you. But you're, you're it's I, a football morning in America email. It's not a personal. OK, email. I wasn't sure. And the football, okay. You know, so so people send emails. I put the email in my column. Right. And people send emails to that one. And a few people have my personal email, of course. But most of that goes to. But I mean, most of it, honestly, is anger on Twitter. Yeah, that's the way it is. All right, my grievance is this. I, I you know, I, I, I still, I've come home Monday and Tuesday night, leaving NBC, and still have sat in my kitchen both nights and uh, in the family room and watched the Super Bowl back and just sat there in amazement. I, I still can't believe, and I don't know if we're all digested. I still can't believe what we saw. And, you know, I think this is my grievance a little bit. Like, listen, I know we're in the age of dissecting and, ooh, how did this team blow this? And they lost. And, uh, hey, listen, I understand. We can question Shanahan. You know, I don't. I'm going to defend a lot of the things that he did there. We know that. I've already had that discussion with Mike. But I really think we're, like, not appreciating the greatness of what we saw the other night. I mean, it's 20 to 10 against the best pass defense we've seen in football in the past decade. There has been not a better pass defense in football in the last decade. And we're talking about the 2015 Broncos and the 2013 Seahawks and some real and the Ravens with Ray Lewis who beat the We're talking about some great defenses. And this 49ers defense had the lowest pass yards per game that we've seen in a decade. And I believe up there with one of the highest of uh, this century to this point with a Super Bowl pass rush to go and down 10, third and 15. And they went on fire and reeled off 21 points like I've never seen before, let alone let it being against one of the best defenses we've seen here in recent history. So, you know, I, all I guess what I'm saying is why are we so in the era? I just wish we would appreciate what we saw more instead of maybe dissecting the negatives or trying to do that. I really, really love that. Thank I think you, you're absolutely but I think, right. I think we've done both. Yeah. I think you have to look at what went right and what went wrong. I, know. I think it's fair to look at both. I mean, it's, fa it's as fair as it is to praise Patrick Mahomes for the throws he made. It's fair to look at Jimmy Garoppolo with Emmanuel Sanders wide open. Yes. Can he deliver a championship? I get throw? you. I get he you. He didn't. That's no. fair. 
I know it is fair. Yes, you're right. I, I'm talking more about, you know, as a second and five throw, that was a wide open receiver for a six yard gain and the ball got batted down. You're right to compare Garoppolo to Mahomes. Yes. Well, it's not even fair to Mahomes to compare Garoppolo to him. It's not, that's disrespectful. We're talking about a guy who's like in outer space and another guy who's just, you know, here in America. I mean, that's Mahomes is special. And I guess that's what I'm saying. It was something really special. We saw Sunday night. Here's my grievance very, very quickly, yeah. and you can read the full story at profootballtalk.com. A couple of years ago, the Washington Post had a poll regarding the NFL team nickname in Washington, and, and it was criticized, it was questionable methodology, and it seemed to put the debate to rest, and it shouldn't have. Cal Berkeley has a new study that much more strongly links the team name to Native Americans who strongly identify as it being an offensive term to them. Not just somebody who casually says I'm Native American, but the people who truly are strongly identified as Native American are offended by that term. It's a discussion that needs to continue. It is a dictionary-defined slur, and we are going to look back on this time at some point and say, what the hell was wrong with the NFL that it had a team name as a dictionary-defined slur? We'll be right back. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.